Hello, I'm Neil Whelan and welcome to the Wesleyan Podcast. It's one year on since the true impact of the COVID-19 pandemic was starting to be realised and, as is often the case, financial markets were among the first to respond. In the week where a roadmap to lift England out of the latest lockdown was announced, along with updates from Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland, Wesleyan's Director of Investments, Martin Lawrence, is quizzed by James Heaney, the Investments Communications Manager, about the latest developments, the state of the economy and what our fund managers are doing to prepare for the future. As always, this podcast is for information purposes only and isn't financial advice. And with that, let's hand over to Martin and first up, James. Martin, would you mind just summing up for me the differences between the picture back then and where we are today? Of course, yeah. Hi, James. Great to join you again. Um, Yes, thank you for reminding me. We are one year on from uh, when it really began to hit financial markets. So this was, you know, the very end of February when uh, really we began to kind of notice things coming through. And actually, it was into March when it really got sort of serious. So that second week of March, the first week, interesting, was calm when people were just trying to double check the data. It was the second week of March 2020 where we saw the huge falls in some of the markets. So come forward into the current day and the difference really is, is night and day because really you know, the, the vaccines that we've got out there. So um, as we sit so there, there's what, 210 million shots being given around the globe, which is a phenomenal achievement. When you consider that 12 months ago, the virus wasn't really known about and yet now we've got the vaccination programme up and running. So yeah, it's been some year. And you mentioned the vaccines there. Now that really is quite an important factor for markets, isn't it, Martin? It is. And, and there's, you know, people have been watching with great interest markets like Israel, interestingly, because they are a long way ahead of a lot of other countries in terms of getting their vaccination program done. I think, um, you know, as we sit here today, they've got about half of the population that have got at least one shot. Um, one third of their population are fully vaccinated with both shots. So the data we're getting out of Israel really does give us a good read across what's going on in other countries such as ours. And in the UK specifically, um, the figures around 17 million, although we're edging towards 18 million, I think, at the last count. It is. And I mean, you know, to your point, these numbers are ticking up each day. And that really is credit to the, you know, the NHS and all the health professionals who are rolling out this vaccine at a rate of not. So I'm sure we'll be up through 20 million, you know, in the not too distant future. And this really, the UK has got a slight different approach, I think, to the rest of the world. The UK have prioritised the first dose as opposed to others who've gone to, you know, for full vaccination earlier on. So we've got, I think it's something like a quarter of the UK population have received at least one dose of the vaccine already. Um, Though if you look at full vaccinations, we've only just about hit the 1% of the population. So it just shows the difference between the UK and the approach taken by markets such as Israel. And of course, looking at the UK, as you've just mentioned, the vaccine number is going up here, which has played an important role in what Boris Johnson announced earlier this week in terms of the roadmap for the UK's exit and easing of lockdown restrictions. But with um, shops and restaurants opening in a few months' time, Martin, what's, what's the kind of market view around all of this? What does it mean, firstly, for UK businesses uh, and UK stock markets? Yes, I mean, I guess in, in one word, I would say uh, planning. It gives everybody the ability to plan. So, you know, what uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson has laid out is this four-stage plan for the reopening of the economy. Now, 
as you know, I, I've said many times in the past that uh, financial markets hate uncertainty. Well, actually, businesses don't like uncertainty either. And by putting dates out there for when things could potentially reopen, I think it's just kind of, um, you know, open the floodgates in terms of people's plans for um, hiring, etc., for how many staff they need to take on. So you've got these kind of four stages. Um, the, the way I would describe it, broadly speaking, you know, stage one, schools, and that's from the 8th of March. Stage two, shops. Stage three, indoor leisure. Stage four, fully open. And the fact that we have this date, this 21st of June, where subject to conditions, and we can talk a bit about those, but subject to the conditions and checks that you could have the economy fully open, that just gives um, a, a clear roadmap for, for businesses to be able to plan. And that's something we haven't had before. So I think that was that was game changing in terms of visibility. You mentioned that markets don't like uncertainty and we have discussed that many times before. So would you say that this kind of opening again of the UK and supporting the economy again and we can start to see some light at the end of the tunnel, is that going to help markets or have a significant impact or would you say they've already factored it in, Martin? Um, the answer is almost yes to all of the above, James, just to kind of swerve your questions. It, it's really a case that markets have factored some of it in, yes, but not all of it, because there's this element of doubt that creeps in, because even though we've got this date that we're talking about the 21st of June, actually that could be pushed backwards, because if these four tests that uh, you know, Prime Minister Johnson is applying this on, um, you know, the progress with the vaccine, infection rates, mortality rates and any emergencies of new strains. Well, if any of those cause concern, then the timetable gets pushed back. Now, whilst markets won't like the timetable being pushed back, at least they would have another date to cling to. And again, it just gives that uncertainty. So the more baked in we get to a final date in, in terms of, uh, you know, the confidence we have, markets will continue to actually recover on the back of that. And it's just as you get closer and closer to it being a certain event, if, if that makes sense. You also mentioned about the fact that we've got a bit more certainty now uh, for businesses and that might actually change their plans for employing people or actually shift their plans away from potentially making people redundant. And there are some you know, interesting facts and stats coming out uh, into the market at the moment around employment figures and such, Martin. Um, what kind of picture does that paint for the UK economy moving forward throughout the rest of 2021? Yes, it's one of the, the success points, I think, of how the governments have managed the, you know, the COVID situation is keeping the um, unemployment numbers down, if you see what I mean. So by introducing the furlough schemes and all the money that's been put into the economy to support jobs, you know, job retention schemes, etc., it's prevented the need for companies to permanently lay off staff. And that's why you've seen in the numbers I think you're alluding to that depending on which measure you look at, some are claiming that the unemployment rate is higher than others because on the claimant count measure, you've actually got a much higher level of unemployment at the moment. It's saying it's sort of north of 7%. Whereas if you look at something like the Labour Force survey, it's only just over 5%. And the reason there is in the Labour Force survey, they are managing to keep the employees on the books because the furlough schemes means they don't have to lay them off formally. So the question is, do those two numbers converge? You know, what is the underlying picture for unemployment in this country? And if we go back, James, to the point we we're making about the reopening of the 
economies. In some sense, it's only when we get the other side of the 21st of June date or whatever the full opening date turns out to be, that you'll really get a sense of what companies are actually going to do in terms of what is the correct uh, you know, number of staff that they need to run their business. And that's when we'll see the true pictures coming through. So at the moment, the best guess is that the unemployment rate will kind of land somewhere between six and seven percent. If you look at somebody like the Bank of England, they've actually suggested slightly higher. They were predicting, I think, 7.8% in one of their recent reports. But you know, it could be lower than that if things go better in terms of the economy reopen. So even those numbers, even at the higher end, you know, you get towards 8%. We've had higher levels of unemployment in this country. So it would be a result if we can keep them down to those sort of levels. That doesn't mean that as economies reopen, we're going to go back down to the lows of sort of 4% and below unemployment employment but it just gives a lot more confidence and it would mean that we've managed this this period a lot better than perhaps would have been expected 12 months ago with the uk's trade deals around the world what kind of progress has been made and what kind of optimism does that provide for the uk as as a nation Yes, it's it's early days on on the trade front. We've got obviously the initial Brexit deal in place, and as we've spoken before, that it was only covering goods rather than services. So there's a lot more to come, not least deals with people like America. You know, the trade agreements with the United States, and here the the talk has been about getting the deal right rather than getting it rushed through because it's such a you know effectively a a big trading partner. Now, what we can comment on so far is what has the impact been with Europe? Now, if you look at the ports, you've had situations such as um, has there been a delay in getting goods into the country? And you remember the kind of the stockpiling debates were, um, is it going to be possible to get goods into this country? Is this going to be a disaster? I think even the Tesco chairman was quoted as saying what it could potentially do in terms of prices because of the cost of getting them in. Well, um, most of those haven't proved to be insurmountable so far. So there's been a modest amount of what I've described as trade friction with getting goods into the country, but we haven't really seen any sustained blockages at ports or any large queues. Initially, yes, there were some headlines in newspapers, but generally speaking, we've managed to, to get the, the trade flowing. Yes, there's been new freight paperwork, which has caused some confusion initially for truckers coming in. Um, but on the whole, I think it's actually gone okay. So modest amounts of issues such as being able to get um, container ships because there have been fewer of them and therefore the price of shipping has gone up a little bit and that's probably what was the concern beforehand that would there be a kind of a big bun fight for for getting your product into the UK none of that so far though I'd uh, point out you know it, it is still early days in terms of getting used to this it feels like we've all had more than our share of ups and downs this year but there is hope for the future and with less chance to spend some of us even managed to save a little Now's the time to get that cash working harder with a Wesleyan with Profits ISA. For over 180 years, Wesleyan's been the investment choice of doctors, dentists and teachers, some of our most trusted professions. But today, we can all share in Wesleyan's success. And because it's a mutual, we can share in the profits too. Invest in a Wesleyan with Profits ISA before April the 5th to maximise your tax-free allowance. Wesleyan. We are all about you. See wesleyan.co.uk forward slash ISA21. The value of your investment may go down as well as up. You may get back less than you invest. 
Tax rules for ISAs may change. Wesleyan Assurance Society is authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. With everything we've talked about so far, Martin, I suppose what I'd really like us to do is actually convey what that means in terms of asset classes and the team's strategy and what the fund managers and analysts are doing on a daily basis for our funds at Wesleyan. Of course, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll go through the asset classes in a second, but I think there's one important thing we ought to discuss, which is the difference maybe between the recovery from this COVID-19 situation and the recovery from previous crises that we've seen. So, as you know, I've been around long enough and I've seen a few of these uh, over the years. But if you go back to something like the global financial crisis, so we're going back to kind of 2007, 2008, the recovery from that crisis relative to this one really was very, very slow. And it, it effectively took 10 years to, to get through. And, and I don't know if you remember the term that was banded around at the time, but there was a muddle through approach to getting through the global financial crisis because interest rates had to be cut and the financial system had seized up to the point that, you know, WD40 just simply wasn't getting through. You had to actually slowly work your way through very carefully, very methodically, to make sure that nothing fundamentally went wrong. Whereas roll forward to the recovery from this one, and, and we've talked about this 21st of June date, the difference here is there is this kind of pent up demand ready to go, which didn't exist in previous crises. So because this has been solved more by governments than it has by consumers, it's governments that have footed the bill for a lot of these measures, the consumers are actually in pretty good shape. So we've seen data on things like savings ratios and propensitive people to spend, you know, willingness to go out there and take the holiday they haven't been able to take or to you know go and eat out with a family that they've not been able to do this kind of pent-up demand is kind of already there so the moment we get a green light you've got this kind of faster recovery that could come through compared to what we've seen in the past and I say the global financial crisis you were talking a muddle through for almost 10 years whereas we think this is going to be more sort of weeks and months before the recovery comes through so even though the economic position actually on the GDP um, you know, measure. So if you look at e economic growth, they had, I think they just produced numbers that said that uh, 2020 GDP was down 9.9% in calendar 2020. Um, we expect that to really recover quite quickly. Interesting, Martin. Thank you very much. And in terms of the asset classes that we were going to discuss as well, would you mind just giving us a high level overview? Yeah, so if you factor in that economic backdrop that I was talking about, then that really is good news for stock markets, particularly in the UK, um, who probably suffered probably um, the hardest relative to other markets because of the composition of, of the UK market, which we talked about before. So that's that economic sort of tailwind, if you like. Um, is very good news for, for UK shares and probably less good news for the fixed income market. So I think we said last time that we'd got some, some um, slight hesitation. We were a bit more cautious about the UK fixed income market. And this really is the reason coming through, because if you think about it, if the economy is about to get this sort of boost, then that's helpful for the companies that are going to benefit. And therefore, the shares, obviously, in the UK, it's not just domestic companies. There are international, you know, multinational companies companies in there as well. But you do have this tailwind for corporate profitability generally, 
whereas on fixed income you don't get the benefit from that fixed income is going to be more driven by the outlook for interest rates and because the outlook for interest rates is itself contingent on the outlook for inflation then this sort of higher inflation this reflation trade that people are talking about at the moment just means that i, I think fixed income markets face a, a tougher time going forward so we haven't really changed our view from last time which is uh, if you go through my you know the, the four asset classes i tend to talk about cash we've got the um, interest rates are likely to remain low for the time being because central banks are going to be unwilling to put up rates too quickly even though actually the bank of england recently said that negative interest rates have been put on hold for at least six months that's not the same as saying that interest rates are going to be rising anytime soon so cash savings rates they're likely to re you know effectively remain minimal for the time being fixed income assets for the reasons i've just said they're contingent on interest rates and actually longer term we think rates will have to rise as inflation begins to rise um, we don't think that's actually sort of going to be any time soon but markets are forward looking so they're already starting to react to that even though the rates aren't yet going up so we have this slightly more cautious tone on fixed income so that would include uk gilts government bonds and uk corporate bonds and even overseas bonds as well Stock markets, um, we're far more encouraged there for all the reasons that we've said. We've just got these tailwinds coming through from the economies, from the financial position to the companies themselves. And to be fair, they've managed last year very well. You know, the management of businesses generally have, with government support, yes, in places, but they've managed to kind of chart a path through last year pretty successfully. And the final asset class then is property. Now, property. Um, we are mildly optimistic on property. There are parts of the market that we know are going to be difficult. Um, we talked, I think, a lot of, about retail last time. The office market, that's another one that we're watching for the transition. As people can return to work, what is going to be, for example, the configuration of an office um, going to, to look like? If more people are going to permanently work from home, what does that do to office rents? And there are some interesting dynamics there because it's not as negative, I think, as, as people would like to make out because we think there is a case that, yes, there may be fewer people in the office, but they may demand more space between the desks, more collaborative working areas. So they need still need the footprints within the building. So it's going to be interesting to see how the office market unfolds. Other parts of the market, the industrial part of the property market is still holding up very well. And what property has in its back pocket is a good income story. The rents coming through just mean even if the capital values, you know, the values of the buildings themselves don't move very much or even go backwards slightly so they fall slightly you do have the income coming through which is a big part of your return so we think with property it's going to be a case of you're going to get some good income coming in but maybe you'll have some some small falls in capital values reflecting everything that happened last year with covid thanks martin and finally um, you've covered asset classes there what is the team looking for in terms of the next six months to a year, for example? What's the future outlook looking like at the moment and what key events will you be closely monitoring? Yes, I think over the next six months, this reopening is, is definitely the short term story. So how do you play that? So in terms of the shares that we're looking at, it's what companies would benefit from um, the economies, both UK, Europe and further afield reopening. So this is companies like EasyJet, for example. So if you take the, the budget airline EasyJet, it's not a company that we'd owned in the past. 
But one of the things we realized was if economies reopen, and of course we were looking at this at the point where there was no sign they were going to reopen. This is as you know our long-term contrarians, you know, in, in terms of how we invest. We started to look into that. So so our analysts had, had done the research on that. So uh, Tom did the fantastic piece looking at the the budget airline industry generally, and concluded that actually EasyJet was one of the the names that we thought would come out the other side um, in a much better position. So I think it was two of our funds have actually for the first time bought holdings in. So they they you know bought some shares in EasyJet. Um, now, to be clear, this isn't uniform across all the funds. This was specific to two of the fund managers who'd spotted this. And this was playing exactly the theme that you're talking about, that as economies reopen, I mean, just think, what are you likely to do if you've got relatives you want to see, if there's a holiday or a, a short city break you want to take, you're going to need something like an airline to, to get you there. So it's just, I mean, it's one small example, but that that's the sort of short-term theme. So travel, leisure, those sort of businesses reopening. And we've started to actually see this already in markets because it hasn't been talked about for a while, but takeover bid activity has started to come back into markets. For the first time in a few years, we've seen some approaches being made, particularly for some UK businesses. And if you think about it, that's really some of the acquirers saying they see some value in these businesses in the same way that we've been talking for some time. So very encouraged to see some bid activity coming back into the markets. Um, very encouraged if the economy is reopened that these sort of leisure businesses will benefit. And then you ask in terms of, you know, what other things are we looking at? I think taxation is, is going to be one thing to keep an eye on. So we've got a budget coming up in the UK. Everybody knows that the fiscal position, so the government balance sheets have been weakened because of all of the, the, the handouts, effectively the supports they've provided to the economies. Well, that has to be paid back at some point. Now, it's too early to be talking about spending cuts. Um, because they don't really want to kind of, you know, snuff out the recovery before it started. But that will come further down the line. But maybe taxation, you know, have we got to put up corporation tax rates? Um, have you got to take off some of these um, schemes that we put in place, temporary measures to help like stamp duty holidays, etc., VAT cuts um, that were only ever designed to be temporary to get us through? And that's our show for this week. Thank you to Martin and James. To find out more about investing with Wesleyan, you can go to the website at wesleyan.co.uk and look under the Investments and Savings tab. Even though we're still in lockdown, you can still book virtual appointments with our financial consultants and our customer contact centres for Wesleyan, Wesleyan Bank and Practice Plan remain open to support you for whatever you need. Customers also have free access to the Wesleyan Wellbeing Hub, a 24-7 hub for health and wellbeing advice. You can find out about all this and more on our dedicated COVID information site at covid19.wesleyan.co.uk and if you want to find out what we're up to more generally we're on twitter at wesleyan or just search for us on facebook and linkedin but that's it for now thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time <laughs>